0: Welcome in to the Just Basketball Show. It is November 9th. I'm Brendan Clean. That is Chris Manning. Right. Thank you for joining us once again follow us wherever you're finding the show we're free and available everywhere including youtube you can also find us across social media TikTok, twitter instagram wherever you live on the internet we likely live there as well today's show brought to you by thrive fantasy a player prop daily fantasy sports platform where you can pick more or less on your favorite players Across multiple sports including the NBA and NFL sign up today with code just basketball all one word and thrive will match your first deposit up to $250 we have Vince Goodwill coming up to close out the show we're gonna play basketball speed dating with him get his thoughts on the Clippers the Suns and a little bit on the Warriors but first well Brendan, think we that I have, saw
1: it well we actually have live I sent you this via text some breaking NBA news yeah we need to react to according to adrian wojanarski jamal murray is going to miss the remainder of the month of november due to a right hamstring strain
0: breaking news. one thing quickly uh first Woj put spn sources in the in the original tweet which is just great also we're going to need to work on your pronunciation of the big man's name but those are two things we can all we can sort out later where I, I was going to put I this say? i don't know what you said if I'm being completely honest. I feel like if I tried to say what you said, that would sound, we would just get another layer deep on the whole issue in the first place. I I, I think I just hallucinated
1: the breaking news to make sure you saw Mm -hmm. it, and I panicked, and it's Wojnarowski, and I think I just fucked up. There we
0: go. It's okay. I know Jamal Murray's out, is the point. And I thought about bringing this up as like a what matters more thing, but it's always just sort of like injuries are injuries. You never really know what to make of it. But this one's big. A month is a long time. I think Michael Malone, his quote the other night was, this is more than a one or two day thing. And that raised my eyebrows. Obviously, the remainder of November is one thing. And it doesn't exactly say like he will return this game and this is when he will be back and a hamstring is better than anything related to his knee chris but this is a team that had amazing injury luck last year and thinned out their bench over the offseason so this will test them it'll be uh, can reggie jackson look like a, a regular nba player again and can somebody like julian strother step up and be a real rotation guy maybe even more than we already were expecting him to
1: Hamstrings also just scare me a little bit, Brendan, because they're one of the things that it just actually takes time to heal. So I'm glad that Murray is not just going to miss a week and is going to test it. I am um, you know, I think we knew based on the quotes that it seemed like he was going to miss some time, but I'm glad it's not just like a week or two. They're going to give him the month to, to get right. This is someone that they're not repeating or making a deep playoff run without as good as Jokic is, and we know how important he is. We know he's the driver to this. Murray is the, the co star of this. Murray is the one that elevated them in a lot of ways last year. Like You saw what happened when he wasn't around in the playoffs. To have him back is a really big deal. To have him healthy at the most important time of the year for a team that I think we both picked to win the NBA championship this year is really important, so... Injury is not fun. They're gonna have. To, it's gonna be some growing pains for some guys. Perhaps an opportunity for Michael Porter Jr. to do a little bit more and expand his wings in a way that I think would be good for Michael Porter Jr. But obviously, this the long term thing here. the The marathon, so to speak, of NBA season is more important than. You know the month he's going to miss, but it it sucks, and it's just you'd like to see Jamal Murray just have like a normal healthy season and like make an All
0: Star team and push for All NBA or something like that. that would be cool too. Absolutely, I think the place my head goes on top of all of that is that he we all hoped might make his first All Star or All NBA team this year, and. Especially for All-Star, missing a month of the first half of the season, which is all that is up for contention for All-Star, is a big bummer. So I... Don't want to count any chickens or anything like that now, but Murray, the case for him to, to be that this year, finally get that recognition, which he earned last year is is definitely in doubt. Um, I'm excited to see Julian Strother. I think he's somebody that really, you know, got Nuggets fans' attention and kind of lifted himself out of the who's the young guy that's going to step up. And we talked about him in our preview of this team as the guy we might be talking about by the end of the season. I would say... If he can do anything in this stretch, we'll be talking about him and it won't even take until the end of the season to do that, Chris. So uh, while we're on the injury note, any thoughts on Robert Williams, the surgery that he is undergoing? I just honestly kind of think Danny Ainge and Brad Stevens in Boston kind of screwed him. Um, Asking him to... Well, I guess Danny Ainge was gone, so we're going Brad, Brad Stevens and Odoka. Asking him to play on that injured knee the year that they made the finals. I don't know if he'll ever be back to what he was. And he got his money, but that's that's pretty terrible if it's what happened.
1: Yeah, I would just like him to take whatever is going to give him the best chance to be healthy the rest of his career. It's certainly, I, you know, I think from a... This is the most important thing, so I want to couch what I'm about to say, but I think it's obviously a bummer that one of the more interesting pieces that could have been on the market, someone that, you know, I at least looked at as someone that Memphis Grizzlies should just go be aggressive and get, is now off the market. That's one of the more interesting names that could have been out there to really help some of these really ambitious teams out there. So that, that in itself is a bummer, but Robert Williams is still, like for someone that has been through so much injury-wise, he's still he's 26. Like, there should be a lot of really yeah. good basketball ahead of him, and it feels like he's getting really kind of hampered at what should be part of the prime of his career.
0: So that that's not going to be fun. He is one of those players, too, who is... We talk about, like... Kevin Durant or somebody, or Steph Curry, where it's like, their game's not predicated on athleticism, so XYZ, it's like the opposite with Robert Williams. His game is entirely predicated on athleticism, and if he can't be that lob threat and rim protector and switchable... You know get down in a crouch and guard smaller guys type of defensive and offensive force inside then his impact starts to just kind of go away it almost doesn't exist those are the main things he's out there for so yes hope that he can get right and hope that portland can provide him with the resources and time and not pressure him in a way maybe boston did and that he can sort of you know reevaluate his career and whatever might be next beyond that but let's get to to think that i saw it on nba league pass where we Just steal Dr. Seuss's um, wonderful work and co-opt it into a little bit of a journey around the league. And we're just going to go rapid fire, meander through some things we've observed, watching not the biggest games, not the games everybody's talking about but just the stuff as we flip on nba league pass each week that catches our attention that we do some research on that we save a clip from whatever it might be i will let you start us off chris what is your uh, biggest observation from this past week in nba league pass basketball
1: it's anthony edwards if it's not then i i don't know what else we could have been watching here there's other things we could go to that are really important And things I think if we don't get to them today, we're going to come back to. But Anthony Edwards, I think, just played the best game I've ever seen him play. He was the best player on the floor against Boston in a game Minnesota came back and won. And for him to do that against Jason Tatum, against Jalen Brown, against that Celtics team is incredibly impressive. And it wasn't just him scoring, which he did. It wasn't him attacking, which he did. Defensively, that was an incredible Ant game. I mean, there's a clip that I'm sure people have, if they didn't watch that game, have seen on Instagram and seen on TikTok. And I saw on Twitter, X, sorry, X, that was him locking up Tatum and getting a steal. And I've never seen the Edwards play defense quite like that against a guy as good as him. I, I Brennan, this, that game... And bigger seemed, than him. And bigger than him. I mean, in, in Ant... Look, I this might be hyperbole. I might be getting a little ahead of myself. It, it's possible, But in the non-Victor Wembanyama category of young, up and coming, still like not fully in their prime superstars, I think Ant's like my number two on that list. I this game was everything you could want, and what he is proving, what is proving himself to be, is everything you could want in a franchise guy. This guy, it's it leaves you. There's nothing more you could want him to do on a basketball court. This game is like. Put that out into the universe and that guy can can lead a team. That guy is here. He's doing stuff. We've an elevation of anything we've ever seen him do before. The Wolves look kind of good as a result of him, even with, uh, you know, cat being kind of hit or miss. And I want more minutes for Nas Reed and all of these things that are are kind of imperfect about that team. And the end we just superseding them and he beat the freaking Boston Celtics. It
0: felt like in a lot of ways by himself cannot be more impressed by him. You combined our two ticks. You kind of stole my best game he's ever played take, but I you did, did it I in did. service I, of your own. Yes. He's the best guard prospect. You split the difference. I appreciate that. I respect that. I think that game was really fun. I think he uh, took the team on his back as a leader too, and we were texting about this a little bit. There was a moment uh, early on, just Jaden McDaniels was very cold. Ant got the ball in transition, I believe in the second quarter, dished it to Jaden in the right corner on a fast break and finally kind of broke the ice of his night. Jaden's made the corner three and Ant just knew the timeout was coming, froze at the free throw line and just like dogged him, but like in a good way and just like kind of gestured like, fuck yeah, man, like we did that. And that type of thing is what always makes you feel so much more like this dude has something special even than what he does as a basketball player There was a a moment late at the end of the fourth quarter when Cat didn't get a call on, or no, they didn't get a rebound and they gave up an offensive putback to the Celtics. Gobert and Cat just like slapping the ball around on the ground and couldn't just pick it up. And Cat's like screaming at nobody, like overly frustrated about a play where they were still in the lead. And Ant just, if you're focused on Cat's face getting upset, Ant just sweeps by and then he scores. And you're like, that's the guy I think that I want with the ball that's the guy who can't like get his head on straight a lot of the time during these games and uh, it was just another reminder but yeah this season Edwards 14 of 26 on pull-up threes that's that's the thing that's the big swing skill swing stat for him is can he make that shot and he was two of eight in this game but he made 14 of 26 so far on the season he's also finishing 72 percent at the rim so if those numbers are even close he's not going to shoot 50 percent on pull-up threes but if it's even 35 plus 40 plus great and if the finishing is even better too then then you're really talking about a special offensive season uh they're also first in defense and this game to me the wolves are and this game to me was a complete like modern nba puzzle where Mm -hmm. drew holiday and cat are matched up most of the night and then it's like they are switching Conley onto Porzingis just to dare Porzingis to, they're, they're giving up a wide open, giving a foot defensively three to Porzingis because that's better than the alternatives. It was just one of those games where you're like, position straight up, throw them in the trash. I thought it was one of the more fun games we've seen this year.
1: Well, even if you go to overtime, the play that, st- the, the bucket from Ant that sticks in my mind, it's, he hits it at 131 to go in overtime, it puts the Wolves up seven. So they, all they do in this play, it's incredibly simple, is Kyle Anderson sets to like a fake screen on Drew Holiday to get the switch. So Porzingis switches on Ann in this instance. Ann drives with his left hand. The Celtics, if you go back and watch this clip, and the Wolves threw it out on Twitter, so it's pretty easy to find.
0: Timberwolves Brazil or the real or the real Timberwolves account. Uh, This 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 clip is
1: pornographic enough to maybe be tweeted out by Timberwolves. Could have been, yeah. But it's not quite as overtly like whatever is going on with that that account. (laughs) I had not seen that by the way for like and then I went on Reddit and was just like what?
0: (laughs) It's It's, uh it's a thing. It it if Twitter had not been purchased and evolved a little bit. It might have been banned. The account might have not survived the uh, the Jack Dorsey Twitter. No.
1: Anthony Edwards, though, would survive Jack Dorsey Twitter. But he, so he drives left on Porzingis. If you look at you freeze the play. Tatum's on the other side looking at him. Brown is in the corner, going to slide over and help at a certain point. Porzingis is sliding with him. Drew Holiday has just said, F it. I'm not sticking with Kyle Anderson. I'm going to come trap you. Al Horford is defending Cat, who is, like, slipping towards the rim and is – fully at the free throw line a little below it looking at Anthony Edwards all five guys on the floor for the Celtics are looking at Ant and what does he do he dribbles in he stops on a dime he rotates back and hits a fadeaway floater over the Astrodarmo Porzingis. It didn't matter that five guys are looking at him. He just got the switch he wanted. Got to exactly where he wanted, exploded, got the bucket, iced the game. I mean, you can't that that is unguardable. He is at that point where that guy is absolutely can do everything you need him to do. And he just he's got to that that point, Brendan, where he when he's hitting the pull ups, when he's doing stuff like this. That is like Put you in the category of guiding me that if it's a late game, a tight playoff game, you can give him the ball, do very simple machinations to get the right matchups and trust him to make the right scoring decisions, the right passing decisions, and get the spots that are going to get his
0: team a dub. It's, it's at that level. All right, a lot of games on Wednesday night, and I think we're safe to talk about Milwaukee since they are playing the Pistons, and I don't expect that that game will change what I'm about to say. So my first observation here, it's about Giannis and the Bucks' offense. Now, their defense has gotten a lot of attention. I, I don't know if you saw the quote, Chris, of Adrian Griffin yep. being like, the guys wanted brook and drop, so we're going to do that now. And yes. it's like, oh, the dude who was a Defensive Player of the Year finalist because he planted himself at the basket and basically created like the Defining defensive scheme of this generation of basketball wanted to keep doing that and then now you're gonna say, okay But they are 27th in defense this season uh, Four and two on the year 22nd in net rating Their offense is 12th, but it just should be higher and uh, Zach Lowe had an interesting uh, Stat in his seven things, which is no longer ten things last week at ESPN where he said that they're running Damon Giannis about seven Pick and rolls per game compared that to Lillard with Nurkic or Lillard with Enos Cantor, and those numbers were often higher than what he's running with Giannis right now, which just doesn't make a lot of sense. I looked it up, and this year, Giannis is averaging total 77.5 touches per game, 4.7 minutes in terms of time of possession for him as a player. I believe that's what the stat is on NBA.com. It just says 4.7, so I'll just say minutes uh, per game. Last year, it was about the same. And so it might not sound like a huge problem, but they traded for a guy named Damian Lillard this off season, and Chris Middleton is healthy. And there are still so many possessions, including in the game against Brooklyn, that they almost lost, where he just dribbles the ball into jumpers. And I thought we were done with that. I thought that was done once they got maybe the best offensive player that he's ever played with. I mean, I think he would have to be the best offensive player that Giannis has ever played with. It's it's not a maybe. He is the best. And yet their habits are the same. What is going
1: on with the Milwaukee Bucks? It doesn't really make sense to me. If you you just look at Dame's usage rate for the season, Brendan, 269 The last time he had a number at this or lower, it was his third season in the NBA. He was 24 years old. He's never, since then, he's had one season, two seasons, excuse me, where he was under a 30% usage rate. It was by, that was 29.3 twice, which he had uh, two years ago and then a few years before that. This is a guy that is high usage and he's incredibly efficient at high usage. And you should just be putting the ball in his hands and Giannis should be catering to him to allow him to be the best version of himself because it's going to make the Bucks a heck of a lot better. You don't trade for like trading for Damian Lillard and doing the same stuff the Bucks are doing. It's like buying like a sports car. And like not take it on the highway and you're dri- or you're driving like forty five through the suburbs. Like you're not actually using it for its intended god given purpose. You're just
0: Or those like- cars like my wife's Corolla, Toyota Corolla has like the pedal shifter, like the little hand yeah. shifter on the steering wheel, and it's like, No, this isn't automatic. I'm just gonna take advantage of that. I don't wanna go back in time and make life harder on myself.
1: Right you you're choosing actively choosing something that is not making your team better, and I don't quite understand it. Maybe it's look, it is still early. it's six games. I want I think we have to say that. It's early still because these guys it's their they haven't played even ten games together yet. I'm willing to get you have to I think give this time to evolve and breathe and figure itself out and, and everyone being healthy will allow some of that. But, if, but this being like the initial result is, I think, incredibly disappointing. I think there's no way around it that the process the Bucks are having on offense right now, it is incredibly disappointing based on what we know about what Giannis is really good at and what Dame is really good at.
0: Chris Middleton also healthy. I know he's missed games. I know he's not at his best. But when I watch them, when he has played, he is still capable of getting a bucket. That's another guy who needs to get his and get fed. And yet, again... I don't know what goes through Giannis's head in these moments, but him pump faking into a standstill three is is straight up bad offense. It just it's bad. There's no way around that. And the last observation I would have on this whole thing when we talk about the pick and roll and how Lillard is being used and who he's in tandem with on the court, a pick and roll with him and Lillard uh, with him and Lopez. Damon Brooke is very similar to Nurkic or Cantor and I do think that one of the downsides of running that is you know because there's obviously the Giannis can then cut Giannis can be in the dunker spot and be a threat for a dump off or an offensive rebound and that's not terrible but Brooks feet are slow if you're running a pick and pop and trying to go five out with Dame as the ball handler Brooks not the type of guy who's gonna have the the fluidity to set that screen really quickly pivot up to the top of the key get out of the way and be there to space he's gonna get in the way and if he's rolling he's not a lob threat he's not really like a downhill athletic finisher he's sort of just mucking things up a lot of the time and so again it just returns us to Damon Giannis need to be running pick and roll because that's the best combination on this team that opens up the most for everybody else that creates the best floor balance and it makes the best use of the star talent that they have what is your next observation
1: I want to go to, I'm going to go by backyard here because I think this is worth noting big picture, and that's Darius Garland, who's back, looks healthy, and he's playing at tempo. If you watched the Cavs at all last year, and you watched them in the playoffs even, you saw how slow they like to play. Darius Garland and Donovan Mitchell are great at a lot of things. One of the things I think is their biggest weakness, and I think is a weakness of a lot of the best players in the league at times, frankly, is they like to take their sweet old time getting the ball across half court. You get in the sets at 16 seconds, 14 seconds left in the shot clock, and you're not leaving yourself a lot of time to really work. At-Cavs Warriors on Saturday, which best Cavs win of the season, not even close, against a Warriors team that I am increasingly really liking and liking a lot of the pieces and minutes are getting from guys like Kaminga, who I think we should maybe talk about. We should talk about the Warriors maybe like next week. That should be on, on the list. Garland, Tristan Thompson gets a rebound. By the way, Tristan Thompson backup center is like not a thing I expected to be saying.
0: I thought it'd be Damian Jones. I like Damian Jones, but Damian Jones
1: lasted a game and
0: a game and a half and it's it's over for
1: him, I guess. But he Darius Garland claps at Tristan Thompson to get him the ball the moment Tristan gets the rebound. He takes the ball up the floor, they get into a set, he gets to the line, he gets your free throws, does the same thing the next possession, but gets a bucket. There's sets in this game where he gets the ball across half court. They run a simple action. It gets Donovan Mitchell a three with like 19, 20 seconds left in the shot clock. The Cavs numbers right now wonky. They still have a lot to figure out. They're about they start a West Coast road trip the day we're recording. with in OKC um, get Golden State again, get Sacramento, get Portland. They got out of if he's gonna play a tempo and if they're gonna start evolving in that way and you start seeing some of the promise it's gonna alleviate a lot of the offensive problems i think we saw with this team last year and it's gonna make darius garland even more empowered i think so if this holds if that's a real thing i think you're about to see darius garland really really unleash in a way that we haven't seen so far from him yet
0: cleveland sixth in transition frequency this year best in transition efficiency on the season it feels like there's a lot of teams that are remembering it's fun and helpful to play really fast like atlanta dallas some of these teams that For better and worse, got a little stuck in the mud at times and want to play through their best guard and just really slow things down. It feels like there's a renewed emphasis on that around the league. And that's good to see because, yeah, when you have great guards, including Garland, they're just as good in space as they are creating shots in the half court often better. You know, so I like it. I think it helps Donovan as well. And even Mobley, who I know grab and go is kind of like maybe step one for what Evan Mobley can ultimately be as an offensive creator is getting him to just take the rebound and do something as a scorer or as a creator for his teammates. Um, anything else on the Cavs? I have one more maybe we can hit.
1: Just, I they are, I'm a little i'm a little underwhelmed by evan mobile in offense so far but that's another maybe big picture conversation we're gonna need to to do at some point if we check in on guys like scotty barnes and and that draft class a little bit i think he has been a little disappointing on offense and i might and when i say little i mean kind of actually really disappointing
0: yeah all right going over to oklahoma city i've been keeping a running log of games inspired by you who i don't think has been using the sheet that you sent me that I replicated and used, Chris, but I I have been doing it because I wanted, I wanted to just see how many games I watch. Obviously it hasn't changed how much or whatever. I'm not saying you're not watching. I just mean it's fun to kind of keep an eye on how often, how many, who am I watching the most of, whatever. And it's been the Thunder. It's been the Thunder and then it's been the Lakers because they're always on national TV. But the thing, that has surprised me the most or that i've gravitated toward gotten really excited watching about this oklahoma city team this year that is aside from shake gilgis alexander or the development of Dub, who i'm rooting for in every facet of life is the josh giddy chet holmgren pick and pop mm-hmm. and the chemistry that those two guys are building and how that is changing the context of the thunder offense in general so it's often in semi-transition it's often before the defense gets set and that's part of what makes josh giddy so fun is he's in control even when things feel like they're still moving around guys aren't fully spaced yet the defense doesn't know where it is there's cross matches here and there you feel like he just grabbed the rebound because he's a great rebounder giddy too and all of a sudden he's downhill chet's swinging back to the top of the arc very different than brooke lopez who i just mentioned chet can just flip himself back to being a a shooter and a spot up in a spacer immediately off that screen and giddy's downhill and obviously he's not as fast as some guys he's not as maybe much of an athletic threat to finish but his power downhill drives are just something that I don't feel like defenses have an answer for, it, especially when they come so early in the shot clock before that defense is set, and you have the defense now needing to pay attention to Chet at the same time. Uh, he's averaging one assist per game to Chet this year, more than anybody else that he's assisted so far. That doesn't sound like a lot, but it's one per game. That's you know. Think about how many assist guys get per game. It's only five or six. One of them's going to Chet. Giddy is also leading Oklahoma City in assist percentage this year, while Shea has gone down in usage and higher in assist himself. So you're seeing the balancing out of this offense in a way that we knew might have to come. And a lot of it is happening. When they decide to play fast and when they decide to play in semi-transition and when they just have that simple side pick and roll between josh giddy and chet holmgren that opens up a ton for the rest of this team
1: i I think that partnership too is really in vogue or really in focus i should say on last friday they played the warriors in an in-season tournament game no shea who missed who missed that game with just out with an injury Giddy had 12 in the fourth and he was the I felt like the lead creator on that team more than Jada more door. I know door to 29, but Giddy was at had his hand on the wheel of that game yeah. for the most part and Chad ends up at 24 and I think there's some correlation there though. Guys though guys you're right. They have instant chemistry. I think giddy has been really good to start the year and, and really finding a niche for himself and I think you know, maybe troubling just kind of fully emphasizes that when when Shea is out. That's not really here or there though. I mean, the, the beauty, the, the thing about Chet that I think has hit the ground running with him, even on nights where he's not perfect, is you. it's clear he knows what he clears. He has a role. It's clear he has utility. And he just fits with a guy like Giddy who wants to be unselfish, who wants to make the right pass, who wants to find his guys. Like this is is as optimistic as I think a lot of people are, and I think us included in on what the Thunder are doing. It, it's, it's been a pretty seamless fit. And I think everything you said kind of exemplifies that. This team feels like a clearly much more complete version of itself with, with putting shit in there. And, and Giddy, I think, is kind of a big part of why Chet fits well, because he's just feeding Chet, getting him clean looks. And it's it's not unguardable because you can still dare Giddy to shoot. You can still go under screens on him, all that stuff. But it's, it's, it's on that high-level play that's definitely, in, I'm sure, in the scouting reports when teams are getting up to play OKC.
0: When you build a roster the way that they have, with big ball handlers at every spot, you're naturally gonna play a lot of isolation basketball and mismatch hunt and just sort of spread and drive. And that doesn't lend itself super well to really incorporating actions where all the best players are touching the ball all the best players are in sync with one another and so when you talked preseason, when we talked preseason about giddy and shay and how they're going to fit and whatever that's going to look like in the next iteration of this team now that giddy is taking on a bigger role and shay needs to probably take a step back it was hard because it's like well neither of them is amazing as a spot-up shooter neither of them necessarily is an athletic finisher that's going to kind of be you know jaw kicking to bane or something what is it gonna look like? And I think that what you're seeing is that they're sort of solving that problem by, it's like, when we go fast, it's Josh. When we go slow, it's Shea, you know? And the Thunder are running off of live rebounds 4% more often with Josh Giddy on the court. And Shea is taking twice as many threes per 100 possessions this year. So two more kind of ticks in the column of what does it look like as those two guys integrate with one another. I feel a lot better right now, Chris, about these two fitting than I did even a month ago, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I feel like you've been more bullish about it than me all along. I was running the, they're going to have to trade Giddy sooner than later thing when we did their preview, but they're figuring it out.
1: Yeah, I think Mark Dageno is doing a, an amazing job coaching this team. And I and I and look, I, I think another name that is worth a shout here amid this OKC season so far is Kaysan Wallace has been like playable and good as a rookie and just a lot of fun. He's dogged, he's tough. Like they're adding all these pieces that I think make those fits make sense, right? That that allow I think a lot of this kind of to come together in a real way. And there's still moves to be made, there's still a lot to be figured out. But the foundation like is absolutely is absolutely there with the pieces they've added and the in the way Giddy is, is playing so far.
0: Yeah, speaking of rookies who have just hit the ground running, Chet feels like he's a five year vet. Mm-hmm. I know the last time we checked in on him, it was against Jokic when he kind of got his welcome to the NBA moment a little bit. But there's games where I'm like, is he their second best player? Chet already? Like, any given night you watch this team, you're going to think their second best player is Giddy, it's J Dub, it's Holmgren. Like, that's what's so fun about them. But. He just is so steady and comfortable and confident for them already and just poses unanswerable questions for the defense. I, I think Chet as an offensive player right now is more impactful. His rebounding is still kind of a problem for them on the defensive glass, but he just has not missed a beat. He looks like he was born to play center for this team.
1: Yeah, the the other thing I the other thing I would just add is Chet has not I don't think talked about this at length in a way that I've seen at least if someone has seen something that we has that he I, talked I, at length period yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. maybe <laughs> doesn't just seem like a real, talker
1: maybe he did that really great like video thing that Andrew uh, can't pronounce his last name that the, the Thunderbee reporter for the, athletic, yeah. for the athletic does and he like he did that which is fun but I, I would love to like get to if I could hear Chet talk for like 10 minutes and answer questions about one thing it would be what did that year off allow for him right like I'm sure that he would have preferred to play I'm sure he would have, and I'm sure being hurt was not fun. I'm sure the whole year wasn't just getting ready but, like, what did that quarter, that kind of gap year, that, that forced gap year dude injury allow him that sets him up for this? I would just like to know because you, I've heard Steve Kerr talk about this, other coaches talked about this. Guys come into the league so young now. He would have been really young coming into the league and grow, and you see the growing pains, I think, more drastically than you might have a decade ago when guys maybe came in a little bit older, or two decades ago, or, or way back in the heyday. What did that year that allowed him to grow up and be add some muscle, understand some maybe things, learn what it means to be an adult, not in college? What did that allow yeah. for him to hit the ground running this year? I just think that would be a fascinating insight into where uh, Chet is at a little bit. I think there's the one last thing. Yeah, it's crazy, one, man. The West, the West is the NBA in general. In it's it's an amazing place. If you look at what what is coming down the line, you look at the young guys now. You look at all the the really great players we have in this league right now. The league's in a really good spot. If the talent develops, I think how we a lot of it is going to develop. Even guys that maybe. Aren't going to make like a ton of like guys that get squeezed on all star games or something. I think there's a lot of guys that are you're just going to be like, that's actually like an all star caliber guy that just got a little bit unlucky and only made like three all star games because of just the talent pool right now. I think that's kind of where we're headed a little bit. And it, it feels like a big, like, can I just ask you one last thing before we, we transition to uh, Vince Goodwill, Brendan? Yeah. So Shams reported Wednesday that there's talk of maybe doing two nights of the NBA draft. Mm-hmm. Like having round one on one night, round two on another. My my, I don't know how you feel about this. My interaction was why. Like like, no one actually watches the NBA draft the way the NFL draft does. Like I I'm like pr- I understand like making it a bigger thing. I understand content and filling TV time and and all. I understand there's probably business reasons beyond this beyond the general managers. Apparently, saying they need they would like more
0: time for both picks. Okay, whatever. I, I just don't really feel it unless you're gonna. Because like the teams that get that. eliminated in April really need more than two and a half months before the end of June for the draft. Yeah, like, not enough. You,
1: yeah, you you need the extra like five minutes you're getting on each pick to
0: make sure you you got it. The Spurs needed definitely need more time to take Victor Wembanyama. You know, like they needed more time to think through it. I think it is all the business. I mean, I know that's a dumb answer, but. It's, it, no, it's I, not a dumb answer. That's the answer. That's that is the answer. Me. But beyond that, I think what I thought of immediately, a more specific way that it's about the business is it's more streaming or additional con, uh, rights holder partner content. It's, it's airwave time for NBC when they jump on or Apple or Amazon we're about to Correct. get a lot more places that the NBA is on than we're used to. And yeah. whoever that is, the NBA now can wave this extra draft night in front of and say, either ESPN, you're now paying more than you previously have because this is now a two night primetime event that you can televise, which, even though, like to your point, Chris, it doesn't get a lot of viewership, I guarantee you it gets more viewership than some random college volleyball game. Right. So that's better. And ESPN would put it on or wherever would put it on. Uh, and then if it's not ESPN doubling up or paying more, then it's hey, we're going to split it because that's what the NFL does. Or at least they, they still have the latter days of the NFL draft on NFL Network. Right. So it's split up and you got to chase it and find where it is. If you're a draft head or you're an NBA junkie and maybe it's Apple, maybe it's like day two is an Apple exclusive. Turn on your, your Apple TV and sit down and watch the draft. I mean, that's where we're headed. It's we, I think we are in this era where like there is sometimes
1: just too much like this. This is like a step too far and I, I get it. I get, you're going to do some streams in this. You're going to have a, a stream with Gavoni on it and you can watch the ESPN one with Billis on it and Zach Lowe will be in with Gavoni or whatever it's gonna be I get it I'm for like alternate options but I think you could do that just having the draft one night I really I like if you're gonna do like a, like if you're gonna do a second out of the draft give me a third round
0: well that's like a league altering thing whereas I know this is just content but yes I mean You're not wrong i but i think you just look at the in-season tournament you look at the play-in tournament you look at all these things yes it is designed for competitive extraction of of more hype more energy more something happening to make the season more valuable so to speak but it's also stuff to put on tv and there's a reason that tiny sports leagues are often owned by entertainment companies because that's what this is you know all right vince goodwill next First word from homage, an ultra comfortable specialty apparel company we love with NBA and WNBA licenses that use vintage inspired designs to pay homage to the greatest stories, traditions, and figures across sports, music, and pop culture. National parks too, I got a sick Grand Canyon shirt. Use the link below, make your purchase, support the Just Basketball Show, that's in the description. Buy whatever, Christmas, Hanukkah, all the things that you celebrate in the holidays are right around the corner. Buy a shirt for somebody you love, sports, music, pop culture. They're soft as hell. They're wonderful. Support the Just Basketball Show along the way. That will wrap this part up. Vince Goodwill next. Basketball speed dating. Clippers, Warriors, Suns. Enjoy excited to be joined by Vince Goodwill of Yahoo Sports. He is a senior writer doing great work over there on his podcast in the written form all over the basketball media airwaves. And we are uh, going to start out, I think, by getting to know Vince a little bit. We like to do this with our guests when they come on the show. And pardon the familiarity or the intimacy of of the title of the segment, Vince, but it is called NBA Speed Dating. We're not really dating you, but it's the best thing we can call uh, what this is, which is basically a bunch of questions to dig into why you care about hoops and kind of how you got into it and all the rest. So um, thank you for joining us. And I'll just let you introduce yourself by way of of our segment here. And I'll, I'll start you off with the first question. Who is the NBA player? And they can be young. They can be a vet. They can be whatever you're guided to. The player in the league that you can't quit, that you still believe in, that you still Against all reasonable thought, have optimism can figure it out.
2: Wow, the player I can't quit—that's a good one. Ah, oh, man, who can I quit? That's a tough question. That's a tough first question. I would say, if ever the day happens, I will be hard pressed to quit that Jimmy Butler can't lead his team somewhere. I love it yeah it's a great that's one. that's a tough it's one. A great that, one. That'll, that'll be a tough one sooner or later he's going to turn like 38 and not be able to do it and <laughs> ramp it up but that day gonna have to come before i actually say it out loud
0: but the miami heat will be the eighth seed when he's 38 and you will still think he's about to be finals
2: mvp i mean he will look at me in the face and say <laughs> we've been an eighth seed before and gotten to the finals and i will shut up and move on <laughs> yeah
0: chris that was better than our answers i think i had tobias harris was my answer that he's he's still gonna be like a winning player on a great team someday and, and get get over that finish line who was yours I have, a, I think, my first instinct was Okoro, just because I have like a
1: anti-Dan Waiters belief. But Dan Waiters is also my answer because I just like I'm like, oh, he will figure it out in some way. But he did. Oh, win you, a guys title. A, you guys
2: were scraping up. You guys were scraping the barrel. Okay, I got no, it. No, yours,
1: yours, yours. is much healthier than both of ours. We went absolutely like sicko, disgusting ones. Especially in my case, you went like the guy who's going to be 41 years old, has released three country albums since then, and will probably still make the NBA finals. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Probably so. Chris, and that's, and that's why Vince is a senior writer at Yahoo and we are uh, just mere podcasters, right? Um, yeah. All right. Vince, your favorite player type, archetype, the, the type of guy that you've gravitated towards watching hoops your whole life, if that's the scoring combo guard, the shot blocking center, the athletic wing, what's the type of guy that you always tend to, to fall in love with when you're watching?
2: Well, unfortunately, because I was a point guard when I played, and I had all my hoop mm. dreams, it's the point guard spot. It's the point guard that you're saying to yourself: If you squint, how good can he be? If you squint, can he? You know, like the Penny Hardaway thing. Like Penny Hardaway was supposed to turn to Magic Johnson. He just had to get over those injuries, and he couldn't get over those injuries. And there's only one of those guys. So it's like that that point guard archetype that you kept trying to squeeze into the role that maybe his body or circumstances wouldn't let them be in. So I'd probably say a, a, a scoring point, a dynamic point guard.
0: Fantastic. We will get to James Harden and the Clippers, Kevin Durant, Bradley Beal, and the Phoenix Suns after we make it through the rest of this list. The historical team, Vince, that you're most sure got screwed out of a championship. The team when you look back and you're like, they should have won one. Maybe it was an era. Maybe it was one year. Maybe it was this
2: duo or that group that – absolutely should have won a title okay you guys realize i'm from detroit right so yes uh, yes I, I will say i will say in the crates the 88 bad boy pistons they get screwed by uh, the refs Kareem abdul jabbar blah 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 blah. but if we're saying a little more modern the sacramental kings of chris weber mm, mike bibby that. those guys granted air balls in game seven at the crib suboptimal But the Lakers shooting 20 free throws in the fourth quarter of a game six of an elimination game, I didn't like that. I didn't like that at all.
0: How conspiratorial do you get with it? Is it the refs just stole it from the Kings, or is it just things didn't break their way, another year they would have done it?
2: It was, I I think people in hindsight look at it and say, ah, look at Donaghy and all that. I just think it was a poorly reffed game with not a lot of, you know what I mean? Wasn't anything sinister there, but it was a—it sure. was one of the most poorly refed games I've ever witnessed, and I was in high school when I saw that, and I was like, "This sucks."
1: It, it speaks to me too that that is stuck with you because I, like, that has been a long time and we've had like I think there's a couple of good modern answers to this question but the Kings are also one of those franchises that that's such a sliding doors moment because it took until last year really for them to have like actual competitive really good basketball And all respect to the Boogie Cousins era and like I know you can be like hey Mike Malone had them in a great spot for a while but it took like 20 years for them to have anything close to what they came so close to and what you're talking about there.
2: nah man that that won't that wound I think is still probably there for that team and I'm not a sacrifice Kings fan but I was a Chris Webber guy and a Mike Bibby guy so that that one stuck with me that one really stuck with me for a while
0: even if you ignore the Donaghy stuff it's one of those curses that feels like something out there in outer space or up there in the heavens was going on because that curse wasn't just stealing the title or the the series that was stealing a a generation of of fandom and it's uh it's i'm we're glad they're back let's just say that uh all right so vince i have behind me a mikhail bridges jersey that i allowed myself to buy and be biased with once he left the phoenix suns okay and then i have a Giannis antetokounmpo jersey that i got as a sorry from his pr team because they were supposed to hook me up with an interview and did not that one is signed so the question that we have next is the jersey you wish, if you could go back in any point in history and get a signed jersey that you would put up in your office, framed, whatever, which one would it be?
2: Who would it be? What would that look like for you? It's unfortunate because I probably could get it signed at this point. You know what I mean? It's one of those <laughs> things where you not, yeah. not, not not like a flex or anything. Uh, it's it's probably, fine to
0: flex. It's true. I mean, flexing, what? You, flexing is good. Flexing it is will good.
2: probably be a uh blue pistons isaiah thomas jersey favorite favorite player of all time favorite team of all time probably the reason i became a sports writer in some roundabout way Mm -hmm. and i'm lucky enough to actually like know him and be able to have basketball dialogue with him so if i got a jersey and everything else i'm sure he would probably sign it for me and i would hang it up somewhere around here
0: is he making the sun's decisions
2: Wow! No, he's not. But he's not running the field, sons. Okay. You got okay. Okay. James okay. Jones there and Josh Bartlestein. Don't do that. That's not. It. But it was. I left. It. You know what? I left it open for you, and you walked through the door. I should expect nothing less.
0: You. Yeah. It was an underhand pitch, and I, I had my bat ready. All right. A <laughs> yeah. uh, couple. Uh, let's do one last one because you right. answered mm-hmm. the, the others already that we would normally ask through your other answers. Favorite basketball movie? What's the best basketball movie
2: of all time? I would probably say he had a game. Denzel Washington, Ray yeah. Allen, it w- it just touched on so many different things, and of course it's Denzel Washington. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there's a line in the it's hard movie. Hard to be. It's a line in the movie. When well, I know we're probably not allowed to curse on here, but now you, you can go for it. You can it was uh, young Ray Allen was playing his dad one on one, and he got mad and threw the ball like over the fence, and he said. Oh, that's what you're gonna do you're gonna just run like a bitch and young jesus said yeah a big bitch." so me and my friends <laughs> of course in all of our immaturity we will say that to each other in jest you know what i mean you're gonna run like a bitch yeah. yeah a big bitch. so i love that i absolutely love that movie man can't get enough of it
1: it that's the that's my answer as well vince and it, it's like it's also it's spike lee one of our yes. great directors making this movie I I treasure this cuz you don't you don't get a lot of our Best directors, you know, whether it's Scorsese, Paul Thomas Anderson, like pick anyone in history, you don't really get them making a sports movie no. of any kind. Like you don't. Like I'm like no, they turn their nose think, up at it. Like, and I couldn't yeah, tell you yeah. who like made Rudy, but it's like it wasn't Spike Lee, and Spike Lee made he got game, and we should appreciate the fact that someone who who obviously is a huge basketball fan, a huge yep. Knicks fan, like used his energy, used a, a, one of the few things he gets to do on a sports movie with Denzel in it and got ray allen to be really good in it and introduced us to rosario dawson like i'll take that ten times out of ten
2: yeah there were there were definitely some some scenes in there that 14 year old Vinny didn't know uh, life was what life was living like and then i got older and was like oh life is really like that oh, okay this is interesting yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's great
0: um all right nba talk we got james harden at madison square garden really quickly to be surpassed by Victor Wimanyama's debut at Madison Square Garden it didn't really work out for James the way that I think maybe he might have hoped but he to me looked a little more energetic and less rusty than I expected like you're just at a certain point watching how does he physically look as a basketball player I guess okay Fine. He he seems like he's going to be able to continue to play and contribute and have this integration process maybe not be as long as it could have been if, if health was also a factor. But Vince, they just didn't look together. They didn't look put together. That's understandable. But I, I hate to try. I, I want to try not to bring... My preconceptions into it when I'm watching something like this unfold but there were too many possessions where Russell Westbrook looks like he does not know where to be he does not know what exactly he is supposed to be doing when the ball is not in his hands and not only that but when the ball is not in the other stars who he's now finally starting to learn how to play with in their hands. It's just one more guy. And it it felt very obvious that the too many cooks, the spacing, all those
2: problems are unavoidable for this group. Yeah, it is. It's going to feel clunky. And I think Ty Lue said after the game or before the game that, you know, you're going to look at this in like 10 game increments. And you got to remember Terrence Mann is out and you got to remember they have a glut of wings. They already had too many wings as is. And then you add a High usage wing and James Harden, you know, because of the size he qualifies, you know, as a wing. And they're going to play a lot of four out. And who's going to be the guy to play catch and shoot? Like, that's the question. Paul George is naturally. Going to be the best candidate for catch and shoot because he's more of a quick twitch player than the rest of them but i don't want him i wouldn't want him to be relegated to that just because he's best used out of the four guys there you know what i mean like it's a, yeah. it's one of those weird things that just because you're the best out of those four doesn't mean that that should be your number one role and that would be my i won't say fear but that's something there james harden i think The first game, guys, is going to be super clunky because you're bringing in a really big piece for four smaller pieces that don't play the same position. And you're relegating Kawhi to the corner, which I think he won't be bad at. You know, I actually don't think Kawhi will be bad. I just think it's a adjustment to how he has to play. He has to be more catch and shoot. He has to be able to come off of stagger screens and stuff like that. It's going to be a big adjustment for Ty Luke because the Clippers are so ISO heavy and you don't need yeah. James Harden to be ISO heavy. You need him to be the connector. You need him to be the guy that sort of brings things together as opposed to Russ, who's just an infusion of energy and energy and theoretically effort and heart you know what I mean it's just it's a different it's a different mix but I'd rather take the chance if I'm the Clippers because we know what it looks like if you don't
0: all three of these guys have been on on awesome starts I want to read a quote to to set the stage and I'll pass it to you Chris because I think I had it saved and it's speaking to to everything that's already come up but George Westbrook and Kawhi the other part of this they've all been on great starts to the season and that's part of what makes it it's like you don't want to mess with a good thing you finally have those two and then russ who you added along the way playing well playing together winning being healthy and now you add this this question mark the quote that i had from ty lucris was um specifically about how the role players are supposed to play and it was in jake fisher's article teammate of vince's at yahoo where He said all training camp in the first five games, we've been telling our guys to make sure they cut when Kawhi and PG are coming off the pick and roll in order to give them space because of how they play. But when James handles the basketball, now you have to try to be more spaced and just stay in our spots because he can make the pass and make those reads. And it just speaks to like, on such a basic level, the adaptation that's going to need to happen for not only the stars to, to, to work together, but somebody like, man, who's coming back, who Vince mentioned, or any of these other guys that have been kind of building toward, okay, we're healthy, we got our guys, this is how we're gonna play, and James just, the system of James Harden just brings a whole new wrinkle to that. But what you got?
1: Well, my my questions about Ty Luev. And so you look at him, I would put him in among the upper echelon of coaches in the league. Is this a job that to some degree, as much as he can control, and he can't control everything, obviously, because you have the injury concerns baked in with this whole group. But is this a job that, like in your mind, you look at and say, okay, Ty is one of the coaches that actually can figure out how to maybe pull all the right strings here. Is he one of the guys that actually maybe could walk the line? He's going to have to here to get the most out of this conglomeration of stars.
2: Well, I think strategically... That can always be up for debate, right? Like you can say someone else has a better offensive system and maybe we will put guys in different positions. But Mm -hmm. with these guys being stars with big egos and having bigger roles throughout their entire careers, you're asking about buy-in. And it's less about strategy and more about personality, more about connection, more about, you know what I mean, relating to guys and not like in a way that you're begging them to play. You can't beg guys to play, they see right through that. But if you're saying force of personality, I don't know if there's Anybody that's more that's better equipped to handle it, and I would have said Steve Kerr, but last year you had the Draymond Jordan Poole situation. That's on his jacket. Even if he doesn't control that, he couldn't he couldn't find a way to bring those guys together. Right? I think Ty Lue, from a personality standpoint is a guy that they will trust, that they will probably run through a wall for. Remember what we thought of Russell Westbrook before he got to the Clippers last year? We thought he was on his way out of the league. He he washed out with the Lakers. It was a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And Ty Lue got him in the building. And literally, we think of Russell Westbrook as a guy who's on a value contract right now. That is the strength of that type of coach. Maybe no coach can do it. Right? I don't know if any coach can do it. If Ty Lue can't do it, I don't know anyone who could. And I guess that's the beauty of the situation because all of these guys are on basically make good contracts beyond this year. That's the part
0: of this. Yeah, the extensions for the two main guys, the extension that Harden wants, and the value deal, as you correctly called it, with Russ. I know it's uh, maybe not the topic that everybody's mind would go to, to feel bad for how much Russ is or isn't making given his past contracts. But it would be a little tough for me if I'm Russell Westbrook and am finally sacrificing in some of the ways that I've been asked to do for a while, continuing to play as I'm the oldest guy on this team too, and doing some of the things that I'm being asked to, to fit in, to be making, I mean, 10% of what these guys might make on their next deal, at least like, you know, uh, an eighth of what they're making. That feels underappreciated, specifically as it relates to Russ. Um, So I don't know if you have thoughts on that, but yeah.
2: And here's the other point to it. Russ has signed a two-year deal, and not to get too CBA on you guys, the Clippers can only give him so much even if they wanted to, like just because they don't have his bird rights, yep. given yep. how they got him last year and how they signed and everything else. So they can go over the cap and into the aprons, which they will, assuming, you know, this all works to a reasonable degree. Even if you want to pay Russ, to that level. You couldn't. So I wonder how, if you're asking a guy to sacrifice on the floor and in the pocketbook, like that's something that's very fragile, that relationship. You got to be able to keep that guy on there, even though he's the one player who feels like the odd fit with all of these guys right now.
0: The sacrifice is built into what his contract situation is. He has to be the guy that, that, that accepts that. I mean, whether whether he actually does or not, it, it's either yes or no. Um, question for you maybe to close out on the Clippers here and we can move on to Phoenix, Vince. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we did this after the trade happened and I'm curious how you feel because man is the ingredient that we haven't seen here. He became untouchable over the course of the talks with Philadelphia from what it sounds like and is a connective tissue type of player at his best. Who do you think closes games for this team? Is it all four of the Stars and Zubots like the starting lineup currently is, or where do you see this heading? Do you think that it is possible to make that work, or do you think they're going to have to revert back to, hey, we just need some of the traditional
2: role player types of guys to make this all come together? That's an interesting one because Plumley being out, Plumley as a screener and as a roller to play with Carton, like he's a better roller than Zubac, right? Mm -hmm. But Zubac is Mm -hmm. a bigger body, you know what I mean, defensively and everything else, like it gives you different things. And he might be a better passer in the pocket than Zubac. Like Zubac isn't a bad passer, but sometimes when when the margins are that slim, y'all, like you need, if you're gonna have a player in that spot, and all he has to do is make a read and make a play it can't be he can make a play he can make a read it is he has to this is what he does so With that, I'm very curious. I'm wondering if Terrence Mann or Norman Powell, because they're naturally better shooters, they're naturally better guys to play off of late in games, because Mm -hmm. they're not expecting the ball, and Norman Powell is a a stockier, you know what I mean, a stockier ball player that can sort of roam the perimeter and he can play in catch and shoot situations while your other guys play iso. I don't know if Russ is on the floor late. You know what I mean? But you know PG and Kawhi will be if they're available. You would assume that Harden would be on the floor late especially if he's your third best player where you're not asking him to shoot, you're not asking him to carry you, Mm -hmm. you're asking him to be a facilitator. So even in that situation, Russ may be the odd man out, even if by some ways you need Russ and his energy on the floor, I just think the high-low variance of it makes it so you might need someone a little more dependable and reliable from a standpoint of perimeter shooting.
0: Yeah, I think Highland and Powell have the biggest adjustment of the role players because they were doing what Harden is now doing for this team. And now where, where do they fit in? What are they supposed to be doing? How many minutes do they get? All that stuff. We also don't know if PJ Tucker at center is something that they'll explore as a closing lineup. I'm sure matchup wise that may come into play, but let's move over to Phoenix, which we will see Bradley Beal, debut for in Chicago on the road they also play the Lakers and Thunder at home this weekend so an interesting stretch for them Kevin Durant has been incredible Vince um, to start the season Booker remains out but I'm too close to this team so I'm gonna kick it to Chris to set us up here for what what's interesting about the Suns right now what is the thing Chris that you have your eyes on that we want to get Vince's perspective on
1: well, so it, to me, it's Durant. So you talked to him. You wrote a really good piece about this, what's going on in Phoenix Yahoo. When you were there and you talked to him and you got the lay of the land, even though we haven't seen Beal play in the regular season yet and – there's still a long way to go before we know exactly what this is what did you feel like the energy was for durant
2: and and for the organization when you were there talking to them and just seeing where they are as the season starts well it's positive you know i mean and and mind you this was before they had discovered anything with brad's back or Devin having anything with you know a calf or an ankle so they were all just saying hey we're going to play and i think the four guys who play basketball, like I'm I'm not saying that to be funny, but four guys who actually, or three guys rather, who like playing basketball and they like being around each other, like that accounts for so much. With Kevin, the vibe was... I don't wanna make things so hard for him. If I'm Frank Vogel, if I'm anybody else, my thought is, especially with this start, my thought is Kevin can do everything. He can facilitate. He can stand at the top of the key and navigate the double teams and everything else. But I don't want him to do that. Like, he's good at when things, I'm gonna say he's, he's great, he's the best at when things are easy. And not, that's not to say front runner, I'm saying, when you're swinging the ball to Kevin Durant, there's nobody better at navigating the defense and whether it's taking off, taking off a dribble, going on the drive, spotting up a shoot. There's nobody better, not even Stephen Curry. is better at that particular thing. I don't want Kevin Durant going one five. I don't want him having to worry about players nipping at his legs and the possibility of, an, of a lower leg injury or whatever it is. Like, I want him to be at, at optimum strength. And I still think the optimism is there. I think what, from what I've seen and I saw him over the weekend, a lot of the guys were saying, hey, better for us to go through this now than to go through this in the middle of the season where we're trying to really find it and we're trying to solidify ourselves. I think they're looking at it as a blessing in disguise. Some people may be looking at this as this is the way things are going to go.
1: So that I guess, my fault. that is too. Just with with Beal, he obviously misses some time. This he has the biggest adjustment, I think, of the guys they have by far, of course. What are your expectations for him as he gets going, and as we actually see him playing? And and look, I, I still watch him for the first time, but. In, a, in an environment that is expecting winning for the first time in what feels like forever for him?
2: Well, I think sometimes we have guys who have been in losing situations for so long we forget how good they are. And Devin Booker was one of those guys before they got to Chris Paul. We were just thinking, oh, good guy on bad team. We'll see what it's like when he actually has talent around him. And then, boom, he takes his game to another level. I'm not saying that's exactly the case for Brad because I think his best statistical days are behind him. But I do think we have to reevaluate I think we will evaluate, reevaluate how good Bradley Beal is because if you get Kevin Durant and Bradley Beal, Kevin Durant and and Devin Booker on one side of the floor, and you've got Bradley Beal attacking the closeout and having one less defender in his face, let alone that defender being a weak defender that's in his in his face to begin with, he's going to be a really good and really efficient ball player. And I think once he's healthy, assuming he's healthy because a back injury is nothing to play with, it's nothing to assume, because when your back hurts, your back hurts. You know what I mean? I'm gonna tell you that. As a, as a man whose back hurts, your back never stops hurting once it starts hurting, all right? So I'm not taking that for granted, but assuming health because of the way that they're slow walking it, I think he's going to be one of the best, if not the best third option in the damn league, right?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I watch the Nuggets and the thing that I feel like about them, and that's obviously the primary competition that Phoenix is looking at. They don't have holes in their offense. There's a lot of teams around the NBA. Boston will spread you out. They'll beat you in transition. They'll make a bunch of threes. What's their half-court offense look like, right? It's Milwaukee. I don't know what's going on early in the season for them, but half-court offense has been a question for them. The Nuggets, there's no, well, what about this? And I think what the Suns tried to do is give their own there's nothing to worry about there's no holes in this for whatever way they could build that and their way of building that was a bunch of stars and i think for that all to work they have to get the ball handler beal sometimes in transition sometimes in the half court they have to get the spacer mover beal to open things up And they have to get the sacrificing Beal. You know what I mean? He has to be willing to be whatever the third option on a team like this is going to look like. Uh, One last question for you to get out of here. We'll pivot to the Warriors because I know you wrote about them a little bit today. Have they increased in your mind in terms of where you maybe had them in the pecking order, had them in terms of hitting the ground running and building chemistry with a lot of new pieces, young and old, uh, integrating in there and the way that Curry's looked, it felt I I felt some optimism coming off you that maybe not everybody in the NBA or people who watch the NBA have.
2: Color me shocked, like for one, you know, and I know it's early. It's very, very early. So early observations, you don't have to be married to. I mean, hell, Dylan Brooks is shooting 56% from three. I don't know if that is going to hold up, right? But the fact that they've been able to integrate Curry – and Chris Paul, and play them together in this small window of time, and he's able to bring some order to it without changing the spontaneity. It's just a little bit more control, and not feeling like, oh, yeah, we got these two small guards on the floor, let's exploit them. No, we've got these two great elite guards on the floor oh, shit, we're in trouble. That's what it kind of feels like in that way. So, yeah, it's a little more optimism. I wasn't sure what you're going to get out of Kaminga. I wasn't sure how good Draymond Green was going to be. But they look like they know each other and they don't have the cloud hanging over them that they did this time last year. Like, Draymond Green didn't punch anybody in the face in training camp. <laughs> that helps. certainly goes a it long helped. way. It helps. It <laughs>
0: helps nice run today. through the Western Conference. We pulled Vince over from his uh, Midwest and East Uh Roots, Clippers, Suns, a little bit of Warriors. Hopefully the stuff at the beginning was fun as well. Thank you, Vince, for joining us. And we will be back with our audience next week. Kings, Magic, whatever Victor, Wim, and Yama might do. A whole bunch to come. So hit that button down below. Follow, subscribe. Find us on TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, wherever you are on social media. And we'll catch you guys. Read Vince at Yahoo Sports, of course. And we will catch you guys next week.